Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? And then he made it more personal. Who do you say that I am? This is the fundamental question. And there are a lot of different opinions about who Jesus is. But there's only one right answer. And that's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Mark 8, look at verse 29. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, thou art the Christ. Every person who comes along and has any interaction with the Bible has to see this question for us. Who do you say that I am? Are you seeing everything clearly? This is a personal question. This is why Jesus asked it this way. If the question didn't matter, he wouldn't have asked it. You have to answer the question for yourself. Nobody else can answer it for you. You must answer the question, who do you say that he is? Will you go with the Time Magazine articles, with the so-called experts on the History Channel? Or will you go with the Word of God? Will you go with what Jesus said about himself? Peter's about to give this tremendous response. There's a fuller treatment of it in Matthew, which is just one gospel back, Matthew 16. Let's turn there together. Matthew 16, 13, Jesus takes them to the area of Caesarea Philippi, as we've already looked about. We've looked at, he asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? The response, some say John the Baptist, Matthew 16, 14. Others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody see the word the Christ there in verse 16, Matthew 16, 16. The Christ is Christos in Greek. It's the Hebrew uh, Messiah. So when you hear Christ, that's the, that's the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. Was Jesus ever called the Messiah in the New Testament? Yes, in John 1, uh, some of the early disciples say, come, we have found the Messiah. The woman at the well says, I know when Messiah comes, he will he will show us all things. He will teach us all things. And Jesus said, I am who, the one who is before you am he. Did Jesus ever say he's the Messiah? I don't know, did he? Yeah, he did. He said, the one standing before you, that's who I am. I'm the Christ. Greek Christ, Hebrew Messiah. What, is, what does it mean when we say Messiah? We're talking about the anointed one. When you think of the word Messiah or the word Christ, it means literally the anointed one. Jesus is his name. His name means Yeshua is salvation or simply put Jesus or Yeshua means salvation. So every time Mary called him, Jesus, come for dinner, she was saying, my salvation, come to dinner. That's what his name means. 
Christ is not his last name, just so you know. Christ is his title. He is Jesus, the Messiah. Everybody with me? He is Jesus, the Christ. Now think of it this way. His name means salvation. Christ means the anointed one. Link them together. What was he anointed to do? He's anointed to save you. In the Old Testament, what they would do is they would anoint kings and priests and you can see this in the life of Saul, the life of David. You can see this in the book of Exodus with the, the priest. And they would take the oil, and it was the oil of consecration. It was a way of setting one apart for a specific task that God had given to them. If you were anointed as the king, obviously you were set aside to rule. If you were anointed as a priest, you were set aside to be a go-between between God and the people. Jesus is the anointed one, and his specific mission, what he was consecrated, anointed to do, was to save you and me. He is Jesus, salvation, anointed to save. That's why he came. And people will say, well, I think Jesus came to show people good morals. Oh, he did do that. I think Jesus came to be a way shower. Oh, he did do that. But the specific reason Jesus came is in his name. He came to save you. That's what he was anointed to do. And the Holy Spirit came upon him, Acts 10, 38, and Peter says in the house of Cornelius, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit, Acts 10, 38, and he went around doing good, and Peter preached the gospel to the house of Cornelius, and the Gentiles came to Christ and were baptized and were saved. And Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Look at verse uh, 16, Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now Jesus right here could have said, oh no, hold on Peter. No, 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 the people have it right. I'm actually not. If he had a chance to correct, it would be here. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't correct Peter. He commends Peter. Notice, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you. What if you were Peter right now? Yeah, I knew I got it right. Yeah. Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood, that is humanity, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. My Father just gave you a supernatural revelation. If you want to know who I am, the Christ it's my father who has just affirmed my identity. Through you, Peter. Be like, yeah. <sighs> Getting revelations. Yeah. My father, at my baptism, the heavens open, and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At the Mount of Transfiguration, the same voice will say, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And through Peter, God says, he's the Christ. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the anointed one. This is his identity. Are you starting to see everything clearly? I think Mark's intention, and remember, Mark's gospel is most likely the thoughts of Peter. The intention of Mark's gospel, and here Matthew writing, is to make sure we pause and make this personal. 
Oh, this revelation's from my Father in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros in Greek, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. And there's been all this debate for 1,500 years. The church, the Catholic church, and the Orthodox church, and the Protestant church have been debating what this means. On this rock, I will build my church. There's a difference in the Greek language. If you look at Peter's name, which was changed by Jesus, his name is Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, and it means like a little stone. And that's what Peter was. On this rock, I will build my church. The second, so you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I will build my church is Petra, P-E-T-R-A. There's a city called Petra in Jordan, and it's known as what? The rock city. If you look at the word Petra in Greek, it's not, it doesn't just mean a massive stone. In fact, it means a mountain of rock. Now, everybody put your thinking cap on with me. Sumi, go through the pictures one more time. Uh, You know what, just go back, go back. This one's fine. Go back to the original sermon slide. On this rock, I will build my church. Now, I want you to see, take another look at this. This area was called the Rock of the Gods. And these areas here were known as gates. And guess where people said these gates led? They were known as the gates of Hades. There was a teaching that linked to Baal, and it said that Baal, uh, he he basically died in the winter and he was supposed to come back to life in the spring. And that Baal, who kind of merged with the idea of Pan at this area, was the god of the underworld, the god of the dead, get this, the god of Hades. And it was up to him whether or not people would get out of Hades and would somehow escape death. And you know, they kind of taught that he had the key. And in the ancient thinking, gates were not for offensive purposes, they were for defense. And on the coins, they showed these figurines, and Pan was in one of them, and Echo was in another, and Olympia was in another. And they were supposed to be kind of the, the key holders, if you will. And Jesus, in this area, on this rock, I will build my church. Do you know what's quite possible? Is all the debate... It's quite possible that Jesus was saying, on that rock, I will build my church. I'll let you think about it. At least it's worthy of your consideration as a secondary meaning, because Protestants say it's Peter's confession. That's the rock. It's not Peter. Peter's not the first pope in a long line of successions of popes. That's, That's not the case. But the Protestant church says, well, maybe the rock Petra is Peter's confession, But could it be that we've overlooked a geographical marker here that says a lot? And remember, Jesus says, and the gates of Hades will what? Not prevail against my church. And that's what these were called. And Jesus is saying this, final exam time, boys. I'm going to build my church right on top of the gates or the rock of false religion. I'm going to demolish it. And in the rabbinic sources, again from Ray Vanderlaan, he says that the rabbis used to say that when the Messiah came, 
he would destroy the gates of Caesarea Philippi. Hmm. All of a sudden, you begin to see that what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that your mission, boys, is to destroy false belief and let people know who I am. Are you seeing everything clearly? Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. Do you know who I am? I'm the true God. Everything else is false. Do you know, you want to know who has the keys to Hades and death? You're looking at him. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. He has the keys. And I want to know the guy who has the keys. Especially of Hades and death. Do you agree? I want to know who can open the prison cell. I want to know the one who can set me free from the law of sin and death. And that one is named Yeshua. Jesus the Christ, anointed to save. Jesus is not talking about sissy stuff here. He's saying, look, the gates are for defensive purposes, and I want you to take those gates on, boys. I want you to go on the highways and byways and tell people how they can actually be free because the devil's been lying to people. People go here and they go to this place and they offer these sacrifices and they give this worship to this false God and it just gets them in further bondage and they are behind those prison cells and you are going to preach a gospel that sets them free. Do you believe that? Do you? Do I? That's what Jesus is saying at this particular location. And of course, you know, Peter is uh, lauded here, and he will have the keys. We see that in the book of Acts. He preaches in Jerusalem, Acts 3. 3,000 come to the Lord. He goes to Samaria, Acts chapter 8. And it's not until then that the Samaritan believers receive the Holy Spirit. And then he, in Acts 10, he goes to the house of Cornelius, and the Gentiles receive the gospel. Peter did have keys, but the keys were the gospel. Acts 3, Acts 8, Acts 10, he opens the door of the gospel to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and to the Gentiles. This is how it worked. But then Jesus is going to say something that is going to shock them. And let's turn back to Mark's account of it, and we'll, we'll pick it up there. So turn back to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'm so far ahead of my notes, I've got to catch up with myself here. Mark 8, and he warned them, verse 30, to tell no one about him. Now, you always wonder when Jesus does something like this, why does he do that? Arkant Hughes says, he didn't want to incite a political riot staffed with loyal but unregenerate people, close quote. He was always doing things on God's timetable. He revealed it to the apostles, but he wanted them to be careful because there was a timeline he was working on. Messiah's mission, his identity, is everything. But then all of a sudden this turns. This had to be a thrilling moment for Peter and the group, but Jesus, Mark 8, 31, began to teach them 
that the Son of Man, Mark 8.31, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. The word in Greek for killed implies a violent death and after three days, rise again. Now, I've heard some liberal scholars say, Jesus didn't literally rise from the dead. Let's, let's calm down, folks. Okay. Yeah, Jesus is a good moral teacher and everything. But the resurrection is actually a metaphor. It's a linguistic uh, approach. It's a metaphor for the struggle between the Romans and the Jews. It didn't literally happen. People don't literally rise from the dead. Uh, wait a minute. Jesus just said, they're going to kill me. They're going to do awful things to me. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then that prophecy, and that's nothing less than a prophecy, is false. And then what does that make Jesus? Can he be the great moral teacher that everybody's lauding him to be in the world that doesn't want to accept him as Messiah if he just told something that's not true? He just said, they're going to kill me, and I'm going to defeat death. And he gave specifics. That is a prophecy. And if that does not come to pass, then Jesus cannot be God and the Messiah. But we do, we do know it did come to pass. And we know that Jesus is who he said he was. He's the son of God. And he's the son of man, the, representation, the representative of God and the representative of man, if you will. The son of man, a messianic title. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is what you can write down who will receive the kingdom. And so he teaches these things. Many, he'll suffer many things. He'll be rejected. He names the group, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes uh, are the group that belong to the Sanhedrin, the leading council in Israel. And he was stating the matter plainly. No secret language here. It's on the table. And Peter, the one who had just gotten the great revelation from the Father in heaven, he took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. That's always a dangerous thing to do, by the way. I'd be very careful. You don't start to rebuke God. <laughs> the word rebuke has the idea of a correction with passion. Kind of like this. Jesus, come here. I'm the guy that gets revelations from heaven. Just, just listen to this. Maybe Peter put his arm around the Lord. No, no, no. See, you don't have this one right, Lord. Have you ever, have you ever prayed that way? Lord, Lord, can I, can I give you some insight on this one? What? No, 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 no. You, you can't die. By the way, the idea of a dying Messiah was repugnant to most of the Jewish minds. And in fact, in Isaiah 53, the great prophecy that says he'll be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the, the rabbis would say that the suffering, only the good parts are about the Messiah. The suffering parts are about the people of Israel, not the Messiah. They did not believe the Messiah was going to suffer. They believed he was going to reign on the throne of David. In fact, the apostles have been arguing as they're kind of making their way around town, who's going to be the greatest because they think he's going right to the throne. So I'm going to position myself really well right now. Talk about wanting to climb the corporate ladder. I don't know how long, how long you think it's going to be till he's on the throne. I think maybe six months. Yeah. What do you think? What kind of chairs do you think we'll sit in? I'm getting fitted for my crown right now. 
It's gold with little sparklies in it. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. Twelve thrones. We'll be judging the tribes. Isn't this awesome? Oh, it's going to happen, but just not for quite a long time. You see, in order for you to sit on that throne, Peter, Jesus is going to have to die for you. You can't sit on that throne. You can't be in God's kingdom unless he does what he came to do the first time. Everybody with me? See, we kind of missed that one. We want it now. And they were just like us. Oh, yeah, the throne sounds wonderful. We've been even doing a couple miracles over here. People looking up to us. He multiplies bread and fish. This is cool. I, I can do this. I can do this. And then Jesus says, uh, boys, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to scourge me. And they're going to kill me. Can you imagine being the apostles? You've left everything. You're just starting to see clearly who he is. You just got a supernatural revelation from heaven. And all of a sudden he says, I'm going to die. What? No, 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 no. That doesn't fit in my plans, Lord. See, I already have, I put an outline together of my career path, spiritually. Oh, well, Jesus was stating the matter plainly. And he turned around, verse 33, and seeing his disciples, and I'm sure, I'm sure the looks on their faces had to be priceless. And he rebuked Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Do you know that Satan loves to play on the interests of man? Man has his interests. God has his. And Satan doesn't always work in the ways that we think he works. Please hear me well. Sometimes we think, oh, it's going to be some overt. Yeah, that, that dude Pan with the, with the horns, he'll show up, and then I'll know. No, 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 no. Satan works in more subtle ways oftentimes. Like he'll put stuff before you and say, doesn't that sound good? That even sounds religious, doesn't it? You're like, yeah. And all of a sudden, it's not about God. It's not about God's kingdom. It's about you. See, that's why this is coming up. Oh, sure, I'm sure that Peter was driven and the others by love for the Lord. No, Lord, this can't happen. You can't die. But I wonder, implicit in this verse, is whose interests were really in the hearts of those who said, it can't happen this way. Was this about God and his kingdom? Was this about Jesus and what was best for him? Or was this about them? On and on it goes. And he tries to tell them, I came to serve. Stop arguing. The greatest among you will be servant of all. And Satan dangled the carrot on man's interest. And all of a sudden, the man who was getting supernatural revelation from God, the Father, has been used as a tool for the enemy. And oftentimes, when you are walking the path as a Christian, sometimes this kind of stuff happens. 
You know, one minute you're hearing from God and it seems crystal clear, and the next minute you're going, boy, I've heard that voice before. And I don't think that's of God. And Jesus rebuked Peter, and I'm sure Peter had to be devastated by what the Lord said. And he summoned the multitudes, along with his disciples, uh, back in Mark 8. He summoned the multitudes with his disciples and said to them, 34, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, if you're a person standing there at that time, when you hear cross, you do not think of designer jewelry that goes well with your earrings. When you hear cross, all you think of is people who walk in a death march. All you think of is how the Romans put people right on the public road to warn you not to turn on Rome. When you hear cross, the only thing you can think of is a terrible death. This is Walk in Truth Radio, and we have the privilege of coming over this station to you. But the privilege does have a cost, and we just want to take a moment to let you know that we want to thank you for praying for us and partnering with us. There's a way that you can give to this radio broadcast. We do have some wonderful open doors. If you can give to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth, radio ministry of Living Truth, we deeply appreciate it. Uh, when Oscar and I walk into this studio and we have Cameron doing recording for us, none of us get paid to do radio. We're doing it because it's a passion. Here's how you can help us out. You can go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the donate tab. You'll see a picture of Pastor Michael there. Make sure that when you go to the PayPal account, you indicate that your gift is for radio ministry. If you'd like to send a gift, you can send it to Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God. Corona, California 92880. Again, that is Living Truth 1009 Arsenal Way. Corona, California, 92880. If you have any needs that we can help you with, you can always give us a call. The office is open on the West Coast here in Southern California, Tuesday through Friday from 9 to about 5 in the afternoon. Our number is 951-735-2856. You can find out all that information and directions to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona by going to our website, if you're ever in the area, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We'll catch you next time. When you're doing radio, it's a little hard to tell who's listening. At the Walk in Truth website, walkintruth.com, there is a contact form. Let us know who you are, where you listen, how long you've been listening, if we can answer any questions for you about your walk with Jesus, if we can pray for you, if we can help you find a good, healthy Bible teaching church, or whatever may apply. We'd love to hear from you. It would be a blessing to us. We read all of the uh, information that comes in through the contact form. Go to it today, walkintruth.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Walkintruth.com. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.